welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. As we open our Bibles at chapter 14... You know, Paul and Barnabas now are on the home stretch. They're, they're returning to Antioch and Syria following their first missionary journey. I, ha- I again, once more, have a map for us up there to uh, you know, refresh our minds a little bit as to their journey. Uh, where the red line you will see uh, represents their outbound route taken from Antioch uh, through the island of Cyprus, uh, all the way around in a clockwise direction to Derby. Then the blue line represents uh, their return trip home. And as I mentioned last Sunday, you know, it would have been much easier for them uh, to travel back to Antioch if they just would have gone east from Derby turn to the right and go home. He could even do a layover in Tarsus, which would have been Saul's, or it was Saul's uh, home city. And uh, yet they don't. They take the long way. And uh, this is due to Paul and Barnabas's uh, deep concern to revisit each of these new cities, uh, new churches that they planted uh, to strengthen them. Uh, that remained a much higher priority uh, for these missionaries. And as we will continue to notice throughout Paul's ministry, all the years of Paul's ministry going forward, uh, that deep concern uh, for the spiritual welfare, the protection of each flock, each local church, it's of supreme importance to him. It's his love for these churches that that prompted him in the spirit to write uh, so many letters or epistles to the individual churches. Last week I read you a a litany of the countless persecutions, uh, dangers, that was from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, that Paul had faced throughout his ministry. We're told he's beaten with rods, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, hardship, hunger, thirst, etc. But serving as a capstone to that list... Paul writes, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. And therefore he asks, who is weak without my being weak? Who who is led into sin without my intense concern? The answer is nobody. Nobody. Paul has embraced each of these churches as a living and breathing manifestation of the Spirit of Christ. Paul Paul dearly loves these churches, uh, knowing that Christ himself loves them as if they're his own bride. In Ephesians 5.25 We're told that Christ gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, 
having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. John MacArthur offers this comment. He says, quote, Far worse than the occasional suffering that Paul endured was the constant daily burden of concern for the churches that he felt. He loved these churches. And it is this apostle's, the apostle Paul's letters, which provide us the greatest written source of church ecclesiology. Uh, that is for, for our studying the, the function as a living and loving organism, the church, uh, how to function in the body of Christ. In all, Paul wrote 13 of these letters uh, illustrating for the church how to live, laugh, and love. Uh, his was God's written word on display. That was the Apostle Paul, God's written word on display. Jesus, by comparison, provide us, provided us the greatest visible display of his love for his church. Uh, that display uh, is, is at the cross, Christ's visible display of love for us. It's evident in his suffering, the punishment for our sins, pouring out his precious blood, his sinless blood, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins, and effectually Paul's own love for, for each individual church. Paul's love for them, his human love, his personal love, is a reflection of God's divine love for the church. And as a result, near the end of chapter 15 of Acts, uh, Paul will return to check on each one of these local churches uh, once again. But at this time, he and Barnabas must depart. You can look at the map if you like while I read verses 24 through 28. This is describing their return trip from Pisidia, the region of Pisidia, uh, to Antioch in Syria. I've titled today's message, Fulfill Your Work. Verse 24 reads, They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia, when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. You know, despite all the opposition, all of the setbacks that they experienced, this has been an enormously successful missionary journey for Paul and Barnabas. It probably lasted between one and two years. And just as, you know, Paul will later write uh, concerning his experiences in Ephesus, uh, here in Galatia, this region they've been in Galatia, uh, he and Barnabas have found that you know, God opened a wide door of effective service. But there were many adversaries. And now as they, they finally sail home on their final leg of their trip, from a port called Italia to Antioch in Syria, you know, Paul begins now to compile 
a report. All their ministry experiences. Of course, this has only been the beginning for the Apostle Paul. Uh, We know that it's merely the first report of, of what will become numerous reports in the years ahead, you know, Paul's going to embark on at least two more missionary journeys. Perhaps there will be a fourth to Spain, but this time, at this time, he and Barnabas are going to report to their sending congregation, their sending church, which had originally, we are told, commended them to the work that God had called them. All the things will be explained to the church. A full report, it is described, of all that God had done for them as they ministered throughout Cyprus and the region of Galatia. You know, sometimes we, we, we kind of forget uh, the large stake, the heavy stake that the local church in Antioch had placed in this ministry. You know, remember, Antioch had sent them out at, at the unction of the Spirit that The church in Antioch had sent them out. That, by the way, is the main justification for their returning and giving a report. There had been a significant investment in these men uh, by this local church in Antioch. First, uh, we can only presume that at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the initial unction of the Spirit, uh, Antioch had provided them with an initial amount of money in order to, to underwrite their journey to these faraway places. Then also, we should not forget the numerous years that Paul and Barnabas had employed in Antioch uh, while training for itinerant ministry. Yes, that... that teaching, that that leading that Paul and Barnabas had been uh, overseeing in the local church, at whatever capacity that is, teaching or leading, itself becomes a training ground uh, for whatever the future opportunities the Lord may bring. Let us also not forget to recall the practical experience that Paul and Barnabas uh, were given by the local church in in a practical sense. Their first missionary outreach, not mission trip, but their first outreach, you know, consisted of Paul and Barnabas uh, taking relief uh, to to the church in Judea that was suffering famine, and they were dispatched from Antioch to take that money down to Jerusalem. That's the end of chapter 11. So there had been several stages of ministry in the local church which Paul and Barnabas had passed through while proving themselves trustworthy in the Lord's work. Remember how Barnabas had first arrived from Jerusalem encouraging the local church. Barnabas then actively served as an evangelist for them in Antioch. The the word has taught us that that considerable numbers were added to the church in Antioch through the the efforts of um, Barnabas. Next, Barnabas retrieved Saul from Tarsus so that they could both spend a considerable amount of time teaching all the disciples in Antioch. And, And let's just acknowledge 
They, they displayed potential by, by ministering faithfully to the local church before ever taking those abilities out on the road. You know, anyone who says, you know, I want to be a missionary. I'll sail the world. I'll go to foreign lands in order to share the gospel if they won't first do it across the street. They are self-deceived. If you won't share the gospel right here, you won't once you get off the plane over there either. Paul and Barnabas got practical experience. We saw their potential exercised and, and realized in, the, in working in the local church first. And, and then, of course, it is the church that sends them out. Uh, these men were not, not ministry washouts. They had proven themselves. They were the cream of the crop that was sent out uh, as the Holy Spirit had set them apart. Uh, thereby, when the Spirit called, the church prayed. In Acts 13.2, we're told uh, they commended Paul and Barnabas to the work to which the Holy Spirit had called them. You know, from the very beginning of their ministry, the, the Holy Spirit had called them to work. The Greek term there for work, it's pronounced eron. We would in English read it as ergon. You see that word in ergonomics and, and functions of work. You know what it means in the original language? Work! In summary, the church in Antioch had invested much into the development of Paul and Barnabas. The church also sacrificed much sending them off into the mission field. Uh, we therefore must agree. It's not, not only appropriate that Paul and Barnabas would return, give a full report of all of the fruit of their missionary journey. Um, they definitely uh, needed to come back and share what the Lord has done. Uh, this pattern, by the way, serves as uh, uh, one for many churches today. It is uh, one of the reasons that every two or three years or so, we ask our missionaries to come back if they're able, give us a full report of what is happening with them in the mission field. And of course, Crystal will be joining us February 11th. Um, every two or three years, sometimes it gets a little bit longer. Update us as to what the Lord has done. Crystal's going to come, by the way, and update us to what the Lord has done through her work. So let's look at the nature of this report from Paul and Barnabas. First, verse 27 states that when Paul and Barnabas had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things. The whole church gathered, they reported all things to them. You'll see the English Standard Version, if you use that, says that they declared all that God had done with them. The King James reads, they rehearsed all. Boy, rehearsing is, is really good imagery for this. Uh, like rehearsing acts and scenes from a play. 
You did that in high school or in drama club, maybe college. Like rehearsing acts and scenes from a play, they recounted for the church every scene, every turn, everything God had done through them, all the work, verse 26, that they had accomplished. And uh, we, we must make no other conclusion, not mistake uh, this This exhortation today, effective service to our Lord in ministry is always very hard work. If ministry does not lead to and include hard work, it's not in the Lord's service and it's not His ministry. Folks, serving the Lord, it is not for wimps. Ministry is not casual involvement. In our scripture reading, and nearing the end of his life, the Apostle Paul had stated, I have been poured out as a sacrifice. A drink offering, he calls it. I have fought the fight. I have finished the course. Have you? Eckerd Schnabel, it's a professor from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, he writing in his commentary on Acts, supplies us, this is a factual observation. Schnabel writes, quote, The two missionaries have faithfully carried out their mission. As they returned to the church which had sent them on their way, the proclamation of the gospel, he says, is work. Deeds and actions such as walking, sailing, contacting strangers, speaking with Jews and with the Gentiles, entering synagogues, explaining the scriptures, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, teaching new believers, deciding how to react to opposition and persecution. These are just a few examples by Schnabel that affirm a Christian ministry of any eternal value. It becomes a labor that is a physically and mentally exhausting work. You know, work might include any type of activity that you devote, where you devote yourself to the Lord in service, uh, to your Christian brothers and sisters in service. Um, the washing of feet, for instance, requires a lot of work. Mowing, weed-eating, cleaning, cooking. Work involves preparing in any number of ways for the gathering of worship of the saints on the Lord's day. You know, somebody has to show up early and lock all, unlock all the doors, turn the lights on. I don't know who it is. Somebody does it, though. Somebody has to make sure the instruments are in tune. 
Somebody has to ensure the bear claws and the little Debbie donuts are where they need to be. Folks, this all demands work. Whether it is preparing lessons for the children or or preaching and teaching the Word of God. Uh, Teaching in any capacity, that doesn't just appear out of nowhere on Sunday morning. It includes an emotional investment, much time in preparation, uh, as well as a constant concern and a burden as to whether you are presenting the eternal truths of Scripture accurately. And then waiting expectantly to see who is first in the crowd to take offense at the Word of God. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they encountered detractors, adversaries in every crowd. And considering what we now know from the last two chapters, considering what we know to be the content of this report, much abuse, bodily, physically, mentally, This report from their first missionary journey that they now present to Antioch, uh, let me also report, preaching the word of God anywhere is very hard work. You see, Paul and Barnabas, um, they, they had not been sent by the Spirit and commended by Antioch to travel to Galatia and set up a lemonade stand. You know that in order to ease the stress of outreach and evangelism, churches, all types of parachurch ministries, are really prone to trying that. You know, let's set up the stand right here, Barnabas. With a big sign saying, we are here to offer you free, fresh lemonade. And the people will come. Well, who wouldn't want a nice, tall, refreshing glass of lemonade? Paul and Barnabas could say, we offer pink or we offer yellow. Which would you like? And then after the people are refreshed, they have fully drunk your supply of lemonade. We then seek a point of transition. It often turns out quite awkwardly, by the way. But we ask, you know, could I now have a moment of your time to speak about some spiritual things and and Jesus, how he has a wonderful plan for your life? Then after staring at you strangely for several seconds, they reply, you know, no thank you. I just stopped for lemonade. I must be going along because I have something important to tend to. And then, you know, after repeating this cycle with people time and again, dozens upon dozens of times, we determine, you know, how this transition from the lemonade 
to the gospel, you know, it's not going very well. It's not very comfortable. It's kind of awkward. Isn't real effective. In fact, numerous people have begun responding to us unpleasantly. So how about we make this whole outreach, you know, a bit more comfortable for everyone and we just offer lemonade? We'll spend all of our lunch money on lemonade because we know people love lemonade. Crowds will gather for free lemonade. We'll simply, what we'll do, we'll wear t-shirts that show the church we're from and uh, if, they're, if they're also inclined to visit us someday, at least they'll know where to find us. Additionally, the patrons, you know, express sincere gratitude that, you know, we finally abandoned that awkward transition to Jesus. Folks, this illustration that we are left with, um, it's a description of what most modern evangelical churches today define as outreach and evangelism. Handing out glasses of lemonade. And thankfully, by removing that stumbling block of the gospel, uh, you know, we can remove that, that hard work of evangelism. Let's find an easier way to do what the Lord has called us to. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I, I'm not trying to discourage creative methods of engaging our culture. We can hand out free hot dogs, ask people to come to church. We've done things like this. I just don't want to be the one wearing the hot dog suit. We rack our brains with trying to find ways we can just make this easier. This this work that the Lord has called us to. How can we make it easy? Friends, you can't make it easy. Hopefully this will solidify in our minds the approach of Paul and Barnabas while they were on mission. The approach was one that never included a lemonade stand. They offered the gospel. Their work was solely proclaiming the gospel and inviting people to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. And upon returning to Antioch, They were able to confess before the whole church that in spite of many forms of opposition they encountered along the way, uh, we report to you that we have fulfilled our work. I won't take time to recount for us, how Acts records Paul and Barnabas at every city preaching the gospel with boldness. You can look back at those passages, those encounters yourself. 
over two chapters, we've come to learn, hopefully embrace their method of evangelism, not including lemonade. It was the evidence that they had fulfilled this work. The proof is in the pudding, and it comes at the end of verse 27. God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's the proof that they were doing their work. Don't overlook this, folks. The response of faith by the Gentiles can only be credited as a result of very hard work. If our heart was truly toward winning the lost for Christ, we must accept that for any missionary or local church, positive results do not come without hard work. On nearly every corner, you will find another church wielding another approach geared to win the Gentiles easily. But if evangelism without work did not exist for the apostles Peter and James and John and Paul, we can rest assured that it does not exist today. There is no easy way. Of course, Paul and Barnabas's report to Antioch, it also sets the stage for the next chapter, chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, uh, and what will eventually become a final authoritative declaration by the church that the Holy Spirit's work among the Gentiles is precisely the same work that the Holy Spirit has been doing among the Jews. Both Peter and James will announce and conclude our Lord no longer makes any distinction. We'll leave that topic for a future week. What we need to embrace today, and as we depart, is how every Christian generation, that is including ours, is charged by Paul to advance this very same work. The work of the gospel did not end with first century Christians. But it continues until the day Christ will return. And every single one of us must fulfill our work. During our scripture reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, he was nearing the end of his life at that point, the last epistle he wrote. Um, and he writes to us through Timothy to continue this work. Again, Paul described himself as already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of his departure had come. He had fought the good fight. He had finished the course. He kept the faith. And to provide inspiration to all future generations of Christians, Paul offers this, this word of exhortation to Timothy saying, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is a crown awaiting not only Paul, but all who are faithful in the gospel work, who love Christ's appearing. And in no way does Paul's presentation of a crown offer us reassurance if we abandon our work. Rather, Paul states in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great great patience and instruction. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. What Paul means there is there will come a time and a culture, he tells Timothy, actually warning Timothy, expect it even in your day. There will be a time and a culture that will only drink lemonade. So do we then set up our outreach to offer lemonade? No. Paul says no to Timothy. He tells him, you preach the word. Do not adjust to the culture. Instead, continue the hard work. In verse 5, when adversaries arise, when people are accumulating for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, Paul warns Timothy, you be sober in all things. Endure hardship Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. There have, through the centuries, risen many generations of Christians who have said, evangelism. This will be our work. Our study through Acts has taught us uh, this was true of first century Christians. You can reference Acts chapter 8, verse 5. They were scattered about from Jerusalem, all of them preaching the gospel. You may respond, you know, I'm not great with that. I understand. I'm not that skilled at it either. This is why I'm participating in evangelism training, 9.15 on Sundays. In only two weeks, we have discovered and we have had a good turnout. 
in only two weeks, we have already discovered that evangelism is part of every Christian's work. It's not reserved for a few who are spiritually gifted in that work. I know there are valid obligations people have that prevent them from attending uh, our Sunday school teachers. For example, they have other morning responsibilities. Uh, There exist situations with people they simply can't attend in this season. I recognize this. Yet I imagine there are more than one or two people with us today who have said in their minds, you know, I, I just won't go to evangelism training. And then I won't be responsible to accomplish this work. Well, the class has dispatched me to inform all of us that whether or not you are in attendance of the class, you are still responsible to evangelize. But those, you know, like me, who've decided to attend, uh, have said to themselves, since I know every Christian is called to this work, including myself, that we're all responsible, it would probably be best for me to strive to attain some skills in sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ. So if Pastor John uh, can learn, and if the class can offer some resources that will help, then I probably better be embracing this work. So I'm not going to be letting off people who didn't attend the first two weeks. You're not off the hook. Um, actually, we're just two weeks in. It's, it's not too late to join us. And uh, as next Sunday, we are going to enter a new phase, an expanded phase of training. We would love to see everybody there. Finally, as we turn to close our time together here and depart, let me ask you one final question. Asked this of myself this week. If you personally were to compile and prepare a report to present to your local church, what would the summary of your work in the ministry look like? If you've been here any length of time, this church has invested significantly in your training. There's, there's been weekly exhortation in doctrine and strengthening uh, various opportunities to work in ministry. That's um, why we're here. That's why we're here. Ephesians 4 tells us that pastors, teachers, evangelists are here. We exist for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. We're here for the equipping of the work. And even if you've only begun recently begun attending our church, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there have been churches along your journey along your path, pastors and teachers and evangelists who have cumulatively invested their time to place you in the work. 
their time, their energy, their encouragement, their resources in you before Christ placed you here. So here's your homework. It's after you finish lunch today. Return home, take out a blank sheet of paper, begin to compile honestly your own report as if you are returning from a long missionary journey ready to hand it in. I mean this figuratively. I don't want your report. There are some of you who would have binders full. I don't have that much room in my office. All right. But act by act, scene by scene, rehearse what the the work that the Lord has done through you, what he has accomplished in your life. And then look at what the Lord already has done using you for his kingdom. And ask yourself, oh, how can we expand on this work? Paul's final plea, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, when we each heard the gospel and responded in faith, hearing that glorious news that your son took the punishment for us on the cross, that he rose again, that he's seated on the right hand of your throne in heaven, that he's going to return again someday to reward us for work. We receive that with gladness. Oh, Father, what what sweet news that was to our ears. And uh, what we would ask together today is that you would refresh our spirits in the work. We confess that in many ways we've fallen short, but your grace is so much bigger and so much greater to reestablish us in the work that you're doing. Father, we We ask that you would accomplish this in us. That as we serve, as we we work for your kingdom, that your son would be magnified and glorified and that many souls would be one. That the lost would come to faith through the truth of the gospel. That they would have eternal life. That they'd hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, when your son reappears again. Father, grant us your grace, grant us your strength, as uh, we all recognize that when we received Christ as Savior, we weren't promised it'd be an easy road. Weren't promised that uh, we could each turn our own way. But we are promised that there is a kingdom. And as we look to this, as we look to what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, at the cross, we ask that we would be builders, that we would be workers. Some might water, 
Some might scatter. You provide the increase. Leave us standing in awe at the work that you'll do through us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.